following audio is from a sermon series entitled, A Church for the City. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and Genesis 2, 2 through 17. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight of good and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Over the last six or so weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be a church for the city. And our basic thesis is a church for the city does gospel ministry that proclaims the gospel in a way that people receive it. That leads to personal transformation, creates meaningful community, and works for social justice and cultural Renewal. Now today I'm going to bypass, I had a lot of my introduction, I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of skip over and get really to why we're here. We're, we're going to talk about what it means to work to renew our culture, for cultural renewal. Uh, when we think about culture, a lot of times we think about um, music and TV and, and movies and brands and clothing and this and that, you know, things that we consume as a culture, things that are popular, uh, widespread, whether that be locally or nationally or even globally. 
Um, but, but what I want to show you today, when we talk about cultural renewal, we're not specifically talking about those things. What we're talking about, the primary way Christians engage with the culture is through our work. That if we want to be a church that changes our city, we must be a church that's mindful of the way that we work. Now, every Sunday, we leave here with the benediction. It goes something like this. We'll hear it again this, this morning as we leave here. God is sending us back out into the city to live in such a way that people can come to know God and what he is like. That's every time we, we get released from a Sunday gathering. That's where we believe God is sending us as missionaries back into this city. Now, when you think of that, like, how does that play out, right? That, of course, that's going to play out within your family, right? You want to lead your family in a way that you're showing your kids the gospel, teaching them what Jesus is like, what it looks like to follow. You want to do that with your neighbors, the way that you live in your neighborhood. But, but we think about it, one of the primaries, if not the primary where this happens, is where you work. Most people spend anywhere from 30 to 50 hours a week in the workplace, and so when we say that God is sending us back out in the city, we believe he's sending us back out into the places we work so that we can live in such a way that people come to know who God is and what he is like. And so when we look at this, when we see the, the time that we invest in the workplace, the main way that God wants us to improve our city, the main way God wants us to be a church for the city is by bringing cultural renewal through our work. And so what I want to show you here today, that if we want to be a church for the city that participates with God's work in renewing our cities, we need to understand how the gospel changes our mentality about work, how the gospel addresses the problem with work, and how the gospel frees us to work wholeheartedly. There's a common expression in the workplace, you've probably heard it, maybe you're guilty of saying it yourself, is this idea that I'm just, I'm working for the weekends. People who are grinding out Monday through Friday, nine to five, they're just putting in their time so they can get to what they really want to do on those weekends, on Saturdays and Sundays, right? And, and, and so we have this mentality of this weekend warrior, people who are, are fighting through the week, who are just enduring, like maybe even begrudgingly enduring through the labor of, of work just to get to that free time on the weekend. Now, it's no surprise that people who have this weekend warrior mentality have an unflattering perspective on work. They think work is cumbersome, that it's, it's futile, it's just doing the same thing over and over. We get bored with our work. We might think of work as this necessary evil, something that we have to do in order to meet, make ends meet. It's something that, that you know, even though we go to, to do our job every day, it's something about it seems unfulfilling. And even for some people, it feels like a waste of time. And really, when you get down to it, a, a lot of people's mentality when it comes to work is, I'm just doing this because I need money to pay the bills. But the Bible talks about work very differently, has a very different perspective on work than this. In fact, the Bible, as you unpack it, is where we're jumping in here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, shows that work is glorious, that, that it's, it's, it's meaningful. In fact, it's a, a high calling for all people. And, and this new mentality that God is giving us or... or it's at least different from the cultural norm of how people view work, is that Christians are called by God to add value to the city through their work for God's glory. 
All right, I kind of want to unpack that because there's a lot of things there that Christians are called by God to add value to their city through their work for God's glory. And to see this, we don't necessarily need to go to the New Testament, although you can see a lot of places in the New Testament where it would definitely hammer home this point. But the place where this is embedded, this mentality of work is embedded is right here at the beginning of the Bible, right in the cultural, in the creation narrative. Genesis chapter 1 begins, in the beginning, God created. Work is at the very beginning of Scripture, that God created in the beginning. And in Isaiah 43, we're told that God is saying, he says, I created for my glory. So here we see God, who's completely happy in himself, saying, I just want to I want to do something. I want to, I want to work and I want to create something with my hands. And he does so, and he does it in a way that's for his glory. And the story goes, he creates everything from scratch in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rests. Now, we have to remember here, at this point, this is before sin has entered the world. All of this is in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. There is no such thing as sin yet as far as history goes. And so we can see that work is not a part of the fall. Work is part of God's good design for the world. In fact, God is still at work. John 5, Jesus says, even now my father is working. And so we see that God is a working God. And among God's creation, he's, he's creating plants and animals, the land, the seas, the sky, the stars, all these things. And, and he creates and he says, this is good. This, there's this cadence. He creates, this is good. And then we come to him creating sort of the pinnacle of creation, humanity, you and me. People who are made in his image. And he says, this is very good. And, and to see this, to bring this about, God gets his hands dirty. Like that's what we saw in, in chapter 2, that God gets down in the dirt and he puts, uh, forms, I don't know, maybe uh, forms a silhouette of man and he breathes his life into the dirt. And then here we are. Humanity is created. And because this humanity has been created in God's image, he makes us to carry on his work. That what we do, the, the calling he gives us is a continuation of his work, which, when you think about it, that's one of the unique things of humanity compared to any other part of creation. No, no other plants don't have a specific job to do. I mean, they, they obviously have a job to do, but they're not given a task. Animals aren't given a task, but it's humans, mankind, who's given this this calling to partner with God. He talks to Adam and Eve in verse twenty-eight of chapter one, and he, and he charges them to fill the earth and subdue. He tells them to exercise their dominion. So what God is doing here, he's, he's calling them into a task. This is a God-appointed responsibility. This isn't just about uh, the idea. It's not just a job. Right? What, what they're doing isn't just to get a, a paycheck. This is a, a vocation for them. Voca means calling, vocation. This is a calling. God has called Adam and Eve to be gardeners. And in Eden, God tells them to cultivate the ground. Take the resources that are there and make something beautiful out of, out of them. So this idea of cultivate. You could also say that their responsibility is to culture a piece of land. 
This is what the essence of cultural activity is. It's where we take raw materials and we arrange it in such a way that draws out all of the enormous potential for the flourishing of people and communities. See, it's a way of, uh, of working in a way that positively transforms your surroundings. Taking, taking what's there and making it better, improving things as we know it. Now, of course, later on in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall, how sin comes. And part of the curse of, that Adam and Eve receive is that now work becomes hard. We see uh, by the, Adam earns his bread by the sweat of his brow. His, his, the ground is now hard for him to cultivate. There are thorns. There's challenges in this work. But this is still the calling of all humankind to cultivate, to take what's there and improve it. Tim Keller says, if you think about it, all work is gardening. All work, anything, any job, any occupation is a form of gardening. It is the archetypal job. See, at the core of what you do in your work, you are taking raw materials, you are rearranging them or reordering them in a way that brings out new products or services for human flourishing and the welfare of the city. That's what you're doing. Regardless of the specifics of your job, you are really a gardener. You're a culture maker. You're you're a culture transformer. And you can see that as you go through the, the line of different occupations. It's really apparent in a few of these places. You think of farming, right? You take seeds, you put them in the ground, you raise this crop, right? That's obviously a lot like gardening, so it's easy to see. But construction, you take raw materials, you, you arrange them in a way that creates something that's it's useful, engineering the same way. You take ideas and principles. You, you arrange them to, to build streets and city planning and all of these things. You're, you're taking raw materials and making something useful out of them. But the same is true of, of nursing, medicine, chiropractic. Right? You're, you're using equipment or chemicals. You're, you're rearranging things in a way that, that works toward health. Even with parenting and teaching, you're taking facts, you're taking wisdom. You're creating an environment that's conducive for learning. And then you're, you're working in a way where kids can learn and mature to keep growing up, right? See, with entrepreneurs and business owners, they, they see a void in the culture. They see a void in the society and say, hey, I've got this idea, a way to, to meet this need, And so they take resources, they take capital, and they rearrange it. They they position themselves in a way that creates culture and and meets these needs. Where we see jobs created, they improve uh, improve the quality of life with these new goods and services. And you can even say this about art, too. If you're in an artistic field, whether you're, you're making music or film, photography, you're acting... It's all taking material and what you're doing, you're making something beautiful, right? It's the equivalent of, of flowers. And you might say, well, you can't eat flowers. Flowers aren't really a necessity for humanity, right? We don't need to have flowers, but, but actually we do. Humanity will wither away without beauty. See, we, we go to stories, we go to beauty to find meaning and make sense of this world. Beauty has the capacity to captivate and inspire us. And so in this way, whether you're an artist or you're doing something like building a house, you're you're creating something. You're creating beauty, you're creating something useful, and it's all gardening. Now this is even true of 
of menial jobs, what we call menial jobs, like your starter jobs when you're in high school, like stocking shelves, you're, you're mowing grass, or you're, you're working in some sort of assembly line. And, and when we look at this, it's hard to say, well, how, how is this guarding, right? It seems like everything's so monotonous. It's the, the repetitiveness, the simplicity. It's like, it's like, and if you get caught up in that, you won't see it. But, but all of these jobs, they're approaching the disorder and bringing order. And if you understand the role of the Holy Spirit in this created world, there's no way that you can look down at these menial jobs, look down at your notes and say, well, this stuff is just sort of irrelevant. Because Psalm 104 says that that the Holy Spirit is, is working in a way that renews and reorders the face of the earth. This means that whether you're, if you're stocking shelves, if you're taking care of kids, you're mowing, you're building, you're making art, creating spreadsheets, you're cutting hair, you're making music, you're doing the Lord's work. Right? You're working in step with the Holy Spirit to bring order in places where there is disorder. And you don't have to be on a church staff, you don't have to have an official ministry position in order for this to be true. In fact, when you understand what the Bible says about work, you see that no matter what your work is, it's just as meaningful, just as significant, just as sacred as what my job is as a pastor. Because no matter what you do, you are doing it to reflect, to radiate, to promote God's glory in this created world. This is why 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Whatever you do, whatever, and he actually backs this, he says, whether you eat or drink. So even some of the most basic things of living as humans, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, when we see our work as an opportunity to glorify God, to promote his glory in this created world, we start to realize that our work isn't just about finishing tasks or accomplishing projects. See, our our work has incredible meaning. It's a continuation of God's work in creation. Right here we are, we have the unique opportunity to step into our city and add value to the society. And, And by adding value, what we're doing is reflecting, expanding God's glory in this place. And this means that there is then no, there's no small meaning, menial or insignificant jobs. Everything matters. Whether you're a housekeeper or you're the CEO of a Fortune 100 company, everything matters. When you see this, this, this changes our mentality about work. See, if we believe what Scripture is telling us, our, our job is never just a job. It's just it's never just a way to earn money. Though there are some financial things to be gained from working. See, we now step into our work knowing that this is our vocation. We've been called by God to do whatever it is we're doing and to do it with excellence to promote God's glory. Now, this doesn't mean that, that if you're, you're, it doesn't mean that you're stuck doing what you're doing forever, right? The, the logistics, the career might change, but wherever you do, whatever you're doing, you are called by God to do that thing. 
And even so, whenever you're called or whatever you're called to, the purpose of our work is always the same. It is we are working to glorify God. Now, to say that Christians are called to add value to our city through our work for God's glory, this is a new mentality that most of us don't naturally have. We, don't, we, don't, we tend to adopt a different sort of mentality from, from the culture, from the world that we uh, work in. But this is what God is telling us. This is what work looks like. That this is here to promote God's glory. It's the primary way of magnifying God's glory in creation. Now, secondly, it's about meeting other people's needs. One of the ways that you love your neighbor is to do your work with excellence. Right? You do it in a way that, that improves the society. You do it in a way that adds value to the city that you live in. And then our work is a way to make an income and to provide for our families. You see, what this means is that our work involves us, but it isn't really about us. Now, this is where the problem of work lies. Because most of us, when we approach our, our work, either consciously or unconsciously, we tend to make work about ourselves. Especially as Midwesterners who take deep pride in our blue-collar work ethic, we tend to work for our own glory. We're trying to, to make a name for ourselves, to prove that we mean something, to prove that we're capable of something. And so we look to our reputation as a hard worker or to our, our pay grade as a measuring stick for success, of a way of, of accumulating an identity. And this is nothing new, actually. You, you look at Genesis chapter 11, and, and there's this scenario, the, the Tower of Babel, where we see people actually coming together, and they're working hard, and they're laboring, they're building this tower. But, but instead of doing it for God's glory, the problem is they're, they're doing, they're building this huge tower for their own glory. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They're, they're trying to be impressive in the eyes of other people or even to God. And when their work suddenly becomes about themselves rather than the glory of God, things backfire on them. Work leaves them confused and frustrated. Their plans are spoiled. The society as a whole starts fracturing and is divided. And at the end of the day, they've got nothing to show for their work. And the same thing happens to us when we look to work for our identity. Now, no. What do I mean when I'm talking about we look for an identity? Our identity is, we find our identity in the place where we find meaning and value and significance. Right? We have this sort of mentality, because I do this, because this is my job, because I'm capable of this thing, I'm a somebody. And a lot of people go 30, 40, 50, 60 years in a career saying, this is what I am, right? You introduce yourself and you, you get into small talk. Well, who are you? What do you do? Well, I define myself now by my work. I'm a teacher. I'm a doctor. I'm a whatever. It becomes this place where we find our value and our identity. But let me ask you this. What happens when you retire? What happens when that source of identity is sort of misplaced, that, that you're not doing that work anymore? What happens when somebody starts doing your job better and puts you out of business, or they get the promotion and you don't? What happens when you 
realize you're, you're not quite as good at your job as what you thought. It, it, it starts to, to crush you. If you find your identity in your work, see, there's a couple things happening. Not only are you working for yourself, it's, it's not about glorifying God. It's about working to create an identity, working to get praise from other people. But finding your identity in your work is a form of slavery. You're, you're using others to validate you instead of serving them. You're constantly on the treadmill. It's like if work is your identity, vacation, rest becomes super hard. Right? Because you can't take time off. There, there's too much stuff to do. If you take time off, somebody else is going to pass you up. And even when you do take the vacations, what, what, you got your laptop with you. You're on call all the time. But you're always working to try to prove yourself, and this is such a volatile thing. Your status, your reputation is constantly in flux because it rides on other people's opinions of you. Now, some people see the futility in this and say, you know, I'm just going to give up. I'm, I'm going to... Work doesn't really matter to me. I'm just kind of going to do my own thing. And that's a problem itself. But, but more than that, in, at least in our culture, people tend to double down on this. They become workaholics. They become rigid in their work. They work so hard and try to grind away that what happens eventually is they lose their passion for the work that they were once passionate about. And little by little, Work stops, rob, starts robbing you of life. It, it crushes you. You start to feel the futility of Genesis chapter 3, of the, the, the curse of sin, the thorns, the sweat on your brow, the endless work. But what people don't realize is that this inner impulse that we have to prove ourselves through our work is actually profoundly spiritual. See, not, not only are we trying to prove ourselves to people looking outside of us and, and, and peers and people that we work with or, or even the society at large are looking, oh, that's a person who contributes to culture or the society. We're grateful to have them. What you're trying to do is to prove yourself to God, to prove that you're useful, to prove that you're capable. And this creates a problem because no matter what we do, we just come up short. The job is never done with perfection. It's an impossible standard. And so the only solution to this problem is that we have to find our identity in something other than our work. See, if we want to work the way that God intended us to work, to work for the benefit of the city, to work for God's glory, then we have to find our identity elsewhere and the gospel offers that. In Hebrews chapter four, it says that when you believe in Jesus, when you see what he has done for you in his work on the cross, his life, death, and resurrection and ascension, you believe in his work, you then are able to enter into his rest. The author of Hebrews calls it a deep Sabbath. Now this is picking up kind of where we saw that pattern. God created six days and then on the seventh day he set it apart. He made it a Sabbath. He, he rested. That's where we get this idea of resting. He's saying that, that the true rest that you're looking for is not in a day off. The true rest that you're looking for isn't on the weekends. 
The true rest that you're looking for can only be found in the person and the work of Jesus. When you look to him and trust in his perfect work done on your behalf, you find that you no longer have to prove yourself. You find that Jesus has done all of the work for you and has perfectly satisfied God to look down and say, I am well pleased with you. And as Jesus said, as he was hanging up on the cross, he says, it is finished. See, in in a sense, actually in the truest sense, the real work is done. You stand proven before God as somebody who is valuable and dear and accepted by God. When Jesus is hanging up on that cross, he says, it is finished. The work that he's talking about is the most important work that is left for humanity to do. It's the work of being made right with God, the forgiveness of sins. And what Jesus is doing is ushering in the kingdom of God. Now, what we see on the cross here, Jesus is being crushed. The futility of work is being magnified on the cross. Genesis chapter 3 said, now the ground is going to have thorns. And the crown of thorns is pressed down into Jesus' head. Says your brow is going to be marked with sweat. Well, Jesus is there. He's agonizing over the work that the Father set before him, so much so that he's he's got drops of blood sweating from his brow. You see, Jesus on the cross was crushed by the work the Father gave him in order to give you a new name, in order to make you a somebody. And he did this so that you wouldn't have to get crushed yourself. That in your failed attempts at making a name for self, you wouldn't be crushed. Jesus took the thorn so that you wouldn't have to earn your salvation through your work. And the problem with work is solved when we find our identity in Jesus and we rest in it. Now think of how, how, think of the difference it makes. When you go into your job, instead of going to the job to prove who I am, to have that freedom to know my identity is secure in Christ. I don't, have to, I don't have to work for somebody's approval. I don't have to work for that. I have that in Jesus. See, when you believe the gospel, when you believe that's true, Jesus gives you a spiritual rest because you have been proved. He gives you the ultimate REM sleep of the soul. He gives you a full confidence in the work of Christ that says Jesus has done everything to a satisfactory standard for God. And so you can look and say, man, I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to earn myself worth through my work. And here you have this Sabbath rest. So just as God looked at his work in creation and said it's very good, we can look to the work of Christ and say, wow, that is very good. But the gospel doesn't just give us rest. See, the gospel actually motivates us to work harder than we did before, at least from a different place. We might have been working hard to prove ourselves, but now we have this freedom where we don't have to prove ourselves, but we have the ability, we're enabled to work in a way that is freeing, in a way that enables us to handle all kinds of work situations. Whether we, we don't have any work or the work we're doing is not ideal, whether we're overworked or we're doing thankless work or what we would call menial work, the gospel changes. It frees us to go back in and joyfully do those things. It gives us the power to walk away, to take a vacation. It gives us 
Give us the power to not be destroyed or to be driven or mastered by our work. It frees us to do our work from a place in the heart that's, that's out of thanksgiving and not of having to prove who we are. But this also frees us to work joyfully. It frees us to work joyfully because everything that we're doing is in response to the work that Jesus has done for us. In fact, that's why Colossians 3 tells us to work as unto the Lord, that, that all of our work, whatever we do, is as if it's worship to God. And so it frees us to look past ourselves, frees us to look past ourselves to know that, you know, my work, my job, it, it's not about me. This is for God's glory. It's for the good of the city. And as we give ourselves to this work, we, we're able to, to create jobs and change the culture of our workplaces, to create places where people enjoy going into, where they feel, man, this is, this is a, a part of our city that we're just really thankful for. A place where people are treated fair with dignity and value and worth, where it creates helpful uh, working conditions. See, the gospel frees us from having to find our meaning in work and instead to do meaningful work. And as we do this meaningful work that God has called us to, we trust in the promises of 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where, where we're told, in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. When the new heavens, new earth comes, when, when Jesus comes back and he brings his church back into the new heavens, new earth, we don't go on vacation, like no more work anytime. No, no, no. no. We, our work transforms to become the apex of meaning. Right, we saw this when we were going through Revelation, that, that as all of the cultures, all of the nations come into the new heavens, new earth, they bring the very best of their culture. They're bringing in the very best of their work. That whatever is done in the name of Jesus is the groundwork. Jesus, and even in our profession of faith, that Jesus takes the actions of humanity and refines them and uses them as building blocks for the new heavens, new earth. So work isn't going away. And we can know that the labor that we do now is not in vain. And what God is doing, he's inviting us to partner with him in his work of renewing our city of making a better place for all peoples. And in doing so, God is glorified through our work. Now it takes the gospel to, to really understand that, that, to have that new perspective, to, to overcome the problem of work and to be motivated and freed to do good work and to work hard and make risks. But this is the work that God is calling us into as a church. It's, it's full of meaning. It's full of meaning. Let us give ourselves to this work that God has called us to for the good of our cities and the glory of Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are a working God, that you have not stopped, you have not created and walked away and have left us to the futility of work, but you have given us a purpose and a meaning that, that actually work is a good thing for us. And I ask God, as we are sent back in the city, you help us to be good workers, remembering the gospel, how Jesus has worked on and labored on our behalf to make us right before you. And even in our work, whatever field it might be in, God, would our work be marked by the gospel of promoting goodness and beauty and truth, finding the needs in our city and stepping into them, taking the raw materials that you've laid before us and, and transforming it into something beautiful. God, what would it be, be for your glory, for our good, for the good of our city. We pray this in Jesus' name.